Hello and welcome back to the Horror from the High Desert podcast. I am your host, Scotty Milder, and this week I'm inviting on, I would say, a very special guest. Uh, anyone who has listened to my other podcast, The Weirdest Thing, is going to recognize this voice. This is my good friend and regular co-host, Amelia Puero. So Amelia is an actor and a theater director here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She is the founder and artistic director of Duke City Repertory Theater. She and I have been doing The Weirdest Thing for about three years now. She has been one of my best friends for well over a decade. We've done several movies together. And uh, she's not typically like a big horror person, but she is a big Mike Flanagan fan. And we have been uh, kind of chomping at the bit to want to like talk about the Flanagan verse. And we didn't really want to take an entire Weirdest Thing episode to talk about the Mike Flanagan world. Um, I decided it was sort of perfect for this podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy. This is a little bit of a a break from some of our regular listening. We'll be back next time with author Angela Sylvain and a discussion of her YA novel Frostbite. But in the meantime, if you're enjoying the podcast, please go ahead and go to whatever streaming platform that you're using, whether it's uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, whatever. Give a five-star review, subscribe, tell your friends, spread the word on social media, and here we go with Amelia Poirot. So this is weird. Like, this is, like, it feels very strange to be like, welcome, my special guest, Amelia. Welcome Poirot. to the Weirdest Thing podcast. No, oh, no, not at all. Record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you guys who don't know, Amelia is the co-host, regular co-host um, of my other podcast, The Weirdest Thing, which if you're not listening to, you really need to start. Yeah, go check it out. Um, but we're here to talk specifically some like spooky horror stuff. So Yes. This is about as as deep as I can. We're in like kind of <laughs> a little bit of like the the kitty end. Yeah, this is we're not going we're, we're not talking about like cannibal holocaust or anything like that today. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um no, we're going to talk about the Flanagan verse. Uh specifically yeah. call of the House of Usher. Um, yep. So just like I want to hear like your history with with the with Flanagan as a filmmaker, but I go way back with him to Absentia, which is his very first film. I want to say it's like 2011. I should have looked it up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that my first experience with his work was Haunting of Hill House. Okay, so that's like 2018. yeah i believe so let me double check um i'm trying to pull up yield imdb because i haven't seen gerald's game i didn't see dr sleep i haven't seen absentia Mm. Uh, i think it's mostly been the netflix stuff i think i've seen i'm looking yeah i'm looking them up too and i think i've seen just about everything except have not seen the midnight club have not seen the midnight club either which i found in reading around today is based on the books of christopher pike so yeah. i actually should check that out since yeah, i and, and loved supposed- the christopher pike's book <laughs> christopher pike books when i was little yeah and see i never really read those i just like i jumped right into stephen king and like i missed arl stein and christopher pike which i in retrospect i feel like i missed out on like a rite of passage because we're talking to people just for this podcast like yeah those books were huge for people i think the because i'm trying to remember the books that i read it wasn't so much the like monster side of horror it Mm -hmm. was much more the like 
people are so terrible side of horror <laughs> and then set very firmly in like teenage high school so that's where like young adult yeah. yeah that's where like the christopher pike stuff really would, that's where yeah that's where the christopher pike stuff really really lives it was yeah. it was very much like all of this weird and creepy stuff would be happening and you're like oh this person's just a fucking sociopath like yeah. there's no <laughs> right. there's no mystical you know yeah. reason for it they're just terrible yeah. <laughs> and uh i feel like all of christopher pike i feel like all of his books Probably not all of them. Please don't fact check me. Um, <laughs> but I feel like a lot of his books were also set in like in inland California. Mm, so it also, Empire, yeah. And like, or just like not coastal California, okay. you know what I mean? And so it, like a lot of the descriptions of the area and the surrounding and the place and everything felt very similar to mm. New Mexico. Um, yeah. So it was real easy to like drop into them. Yeah, I, I could imagine that. That makes sense. I'm going to yeah. have to go back and read some of those at some point. But it'll, I'm sure it'll be a different experience just reading them as an adult. Mm. I'm sure that I would read them now and I'd be like, oh, what is, <laughs> what are these I don't know. I've talked to some people for this podcast who, like, they're still devotees of Christopher Pike. They still love him. That's fantastic. So, yeah. I would really, I read the, um, God, let me see. I can't remember which one it is, but there's one about a, a a nerdy guy who sets up a camera in the girl's gym in like the girl's gym showers at school. Really? And he, he catches some bad stuff. It's a thing that's like the camera takes mm. a picture every couple of seconds. Ooh, and he's basically like, I'm going to find like, cool. I'm going to have these like dirty pictures of the yeah. girls in the shower. And then he ends up actually catching like a murder. Oh, that's very like, kind of like, uh, blow up or something that's yeah and i loved loved that book read it <laughs> all the time <laughs> well yeah so so when it comes to mike flanagan i have not seen right. the midnight club which is like um not because i have been avoiding it it's just one that i haven't seen yet i just haven't looking, heard i haven't heard a ton about it i didn't even I've know it was heard, his until today i've heard good things about it but i don't know much in terms of detail it yeah. seems like people did enjoy it. But I'm looking at his IMDb. He's got a couple, or like Ghosts of Hamilton Street. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Ouija, Origin of Evil. See, I've I seen, did not see. I've seen that. So I'm looking like Absentia, Oculus, Hush. Uh, I guess I have not seen Before I Wake. Origin of Evil, I have seen. Child's Game, I've seen. And then, of course, we start getting into the Netflix stuff, which is mostly what we're talking about. We got Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Blind Manor, Midnight Mass, and of course, Follow the House of Usher. And you gotta yeah. throw Dr. Sleep in there as well, which um, I enjoy, but I know that one's like somewhat divisive. Um, that's like its own, I feel like that's gotta be its own conversation because it's that's all about like the like people who hate the Kubrick movie versus love the Kubrick movie and right. you know, a lot of that stuff. Right. Well, where you and I really bonded on the Flanagan verse. I do want to, uh, by the way, real quick, I do want to just say I've enjoyed everything of his I've seen. I do think a lot of people talk about Oculus as kind of his like breakout film or his mm -hmm. like, quote, first film, first mm -hmm. real movie. I want to like throw a shout out from Sentence from 2011. It's super low budget. It's creepy as fuck. Yeah. Like it's, it's genuinely really scary. It's very Lovecraftian. It's uh, filmed in a like pedestrian tunnel near where he lived in Glendale at the time. Oy. And I actually know that tunnel. And it's fucking creepy. It's fucking scary. <laughs> um, so I do want, just real quick, uh, if you haven't seen Absentia, I would go back and watch that. 
check those out. But yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, the Netflix stuff. Um, so let's should we start with House of Usher since that's yeah. Since I think it's about? well, hmm, 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 hmm. Should we or should we start with Hell House to sort of also talk about the evolution? Yeah, well, maybe let's do that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So not being like the, I I don't want to say that I'm not a horror person. I just have a, a, I'm like a niche horror person. Well, and you're and you're like you have your line, you have your limit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what really got me into Mike Flanagan's work with The Haunting of Hill House is that like, and I think this remains true for Bly Manor and Midnight Mass and House of Usher, Mm -hmm. is that yes, there are these like horror, spooky, scary elements to it. But at the end of the day, it's really, it's a story about grief. It's a story about, you know, like what religion does to the populace. It's a story about, you know, how whatever the hell. And I I like, I really like that there's that backbone of like almost a morality tale mm-hmm. his work without being like preachy right yeah yeah i so i started watching hill house when it came out and then i didn't end up watching it yes um, i'm gonna blame an ex-girlfriend we started watching it but then she wanted to watch the new sabrina show instead yes so we ended up watching that and i just kind of never got back to hill house. yeah and i actually i feel like i actually had to bug you a little bit about it yeah you did you were kind of and it's not that i was like not wanting to watch it but i just kept not this was also like during pandemic i really wasn't watching much of anything other than like yeah. true crime docs and stuff i was uh-huh. having a hard time watching horror during the pandemic i think mm-hmm. it was just like, you watched also a lot of air disaster and air crash investigation. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> that is true. Um, but yeah, you had to kind of ride my ass a little bit to watch, um, to finally sit down and watch Haunting of Hill House. Because I think I'd watched with his ex girlfriend, I think I watched like two episodes and then just didn't get back to it. Um, mm. And then when I finally sat down and watched it, I just binged the whole thing. And it's incredible. Yeah. Like, I will say like- it's kind of a bad Shirley Jackson adaptation in the sense that it really has almost nothing to do with the novel. And I, that's, that's also, it's great. That's also what I'm hearing about, you know, follow the house of Usher that like, if you're a Poe purist, Mm -hmm. this is not the thing for you. But I, I also kind of feel like at this point, you should understand that anything that Mike Flanagan is doing for Netflix, that it is like, Mm -hmm. you know, has the name of another established work you should understand that it's really more inspired by rather right. than like, this is a. Yeah. And I will say like, and I, and I've talked about it on here is like, I'm not a fan of purists in general and, and gatekeepers <laughs> and people who are like, well, about stuff. Yeah. I will say Haunting of Hill House of the three is the least related to the source material. And that there really is almost nothing in the series that really has much of anything to do with the novel, other than there's a haunted house in the middle of it. There's a house called Hill House. Like, Blind Manor (laughs) and House of Usher. It's been a long time since I'd read Turn of the Screw, but I remember it well enough to know that Blind Manor, like, it takes a lot from Turn of the Screw. It does. In House of Usher, I've read enough Poe that it really does take a lot from Poe. And I, I think I think House of Usher, and again, we can get to it when we get close, when we like start talking about it in depth. Mm-hmm. I think House of Usher does a really good job to me, in my opinion, also not being a huge Poe. I don't want to say reader. fan. It's not like I did. Yeah, I'm not a huge Poe reader right. is, um, again, like a really nice, like soft entry into the stuff. And is I thought 
Because you can't tell Poe's stories without setting them in the time period that they were written to be Mm -hmm. a faithful adaptation. Right. And that's not what he's doing. And that's not what he's doing. And I think that what he did was a really, really great. I think he did a really good job of updating the like the themes of the stories Mm -hmm. and some of the particulars and putting them into now rather than, you know, in the 1800s. Yeah. And so that's that is something I appreciate about How Sylvester and Blind Manor is the way he kind of takes the source material and really twists it to fit like some modern themes. Whereas Haunting of Hill House, it's just he's really just telling his own story um, mm. and using like names and stuff from the Shirley Jackson, which, you know, at first I will say I resisted because I'm such a huge fan. And like, spoiler alert, The Haunting of Hill House is a great novel. I guess, I guess spoiler alerts across the board for <laughs> all of the series and the source yeah. materials. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but yes, uh, I think anyone listening to my this podcast is going to agree that you know Haunting of Hill House is a great novel but you know what you've got a great adaptation in Robert Wise's The Haunting from 1963 mm-hmm. go watch that if you really want to see that novel adapted for the screen right. I would say the Netflix series when I finally sat down and watched it it's just incredible storytelling like, it, it really really is and it is one of the things that I will say about Mike Flanagan is that he I feel like somebody who does serialized work and like works with like a a, like a repertory of actors which Uh having a theater background like I live for that right seeing the same actors over and over again playing Mm -hmm. different parts in every series that they're in love it Mm -hmm. and he really has done an impeccable job of casting Like, I don't know if he has personal relationships with all of the actors that he works with. And it's sort of a thing of like, hey, I want you to come and do this show. Or if they're like casting blind. I know his wife is in. Yeah, I was going to say he's obviously married to Kate Siegel. um, Yeah. Most everything he's done. But, you know, I think uh, Katie Parker, I believe, goes all the way back to Absentia. Katie Parker. She plays in uh, House of Usher. She plays Annabelle Lee. The the wife in the flashbacks. <laughs> you, I was like, oh, I don't know these names. Okay, yes. <laughs> yes, Roderick Usher's not evil wife from the flashbacks. Yes. She's yes. been with Flanagan, I believe, from sort of the beginning. Um, yeah, Carla, I never know how to say her last name. Gugino. Gugino. Yes. Who is just so stunning she's she's incredible i think she maybe started with him with child's game and then he just realized like he's like i better hold on to this one. i just keep this one in the back pocket she's amazing. and she and she is so like her work is so solid mm-hmm. and she is so beautiful like looking yeah. at her is a little like looking directly into the sun like right. i was watching hill house and you know they light her very you know like they light her very beautifully, but I was still yeah. was like, Jesus, <laughs> like her face. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's so stunning. Yeah, she really is. And, and you're right. And she's backed it up. She's incredible. Like, I think her performance, she's great in Gerald's game, which is really, it's like her handcuffed to a bed. And I heard yeah. that that was sort of considered that it was like an unfilmable Stephen King Story. It was it, it was the one Stephen King story that for years people had sort of tried to get it off the ground and no one could figure out how to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and I think there are two problems with it. Um, one was that, like, a lot of people are like, "Well, how do you film a movie that's like just in one room with a character who's like tied to a bed?" But it's like we we've seen other movies that have done things like that, so that was like less the insurmountable yeah obstacle. I think subject matter wise, people are also really scared of it. Mm-hmm. The way Flanagan does it with her performance and um. And I'm forgetting his name now. Of course, he's also in Fall of the House of Usher. And he was a he was a last minute replacement. I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you who he is. Bruce Greenwood. Bruce Greenwood in in um a Joe's game. The two of them. I mean, he managed. I think one thing Flanagan is really, and we'll talk about this as we go through it. He's really as a male like cis heterosexual male filmmaker. He's really thoughtful about how he approaches his female characters. Mm-hmm. And so he's able, to, he was able to do Gerald's game with, without pulling any punches, but also without making it feel tawdry, which I think a yeah. lot of, a lot of filmmakers would have just slipped right. into a weird kind of exploitive sort of, yeah. 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 I had started watching because you, you talked to me about this. And so I had gone back to go, I didn't make it through all of them. Sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> but I had gone back and was starting to watch Hill House again. And across the board, the casting of all of the kids, the adult versions mm-hmm. and the kid versions, right. spotless, like fantastic. Mm-hmm. I believe all of those kids are, you know, grew up into the adult versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just does a really, really, just does a, I, like, I, I did a really, really great job of creating a series that has this like mystical supernatural element to it with this house that is like, you know, doing stuff, but also writes this like heartbreaking story mm-hmm. of grief. Of grief and just a family that like fell apart. You yeah. Know, that has been a family like by... torn apart by like trauma. Yeah. And it's so like, I think he did such a great job of, yes, the trauma is that they moved into this fucking haunted house, right. you know, but like the way things play, you know, the fact well, that, that could be um, a stand in for anything, anything, you know? anything, illness, yeah. addiction, which we do see in right. Hill House, um, Abuse, you know, a- right. alienation, isolation, you know, there's the older brother who, you know, is, it's very clear that he's sort of like pulling away from the family and he's like writing these books and he's making this money and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And he, like that relationship is very broken. And I also think a very like interesting examination of, you know, what happens to siblings as they get older and how you can grow up very close and taking care of one another. Mm. And then, you know, life happens right. and you can't always keep track of each other. Well, and and how, you know, resentments from childhood, when they calcify into adult relationships, you know, how how you can really never quite look at the person as like the adult human that they are. Yeah. And like the way everyone just dismisses now until it's too late. Uh, And there's something. So again, like spoilers, (laughs) Yeah, but like when you find out who the bent neck lady is, And you understand that Nell has been haunted by her the entire time, like since she was little. It's just fucking heartbreaking. Like it's terrifying, but it's heartbreaking. And I will say that episode is the closest that the miniseries comes to really kind of capturing the theme of Shirley Jackson's novel. Because, Mm. um, you know, the character of Nell in Shirley Jackson's novel is she's 
very different than Nell in in the show. She's she's this like sheltered woman who has been you know sort of tasked with like taking care of her mother, you know, her invalid mother, and her like younger sister has gone to gotten to go out and like live a life and all this stuff. Oh, wow! And then now you know Eleanor, she's been summoned to Hill House as part of this like parapsychology experiment. Right. It's her first time feeling special, and then the house kind of preys on that, and then it's about the house seducing her to keep her there right yeah and you're never sure how much of it is like nell's own imprinting on the house (laughs) or the house actually doing it and i felt like the bent neck lady arc on the netflix show was the closest the show really came to kind of rhyming with the shirley jackson novel Mm, okay you know just in that seduction and, and kind of playing on her insecurities to then suck her in right Ugh, just heartbreaking. And Victoria Pedretti. Pedretti, is, yeah. Is that how think, you say her I think name? That's how you say it. And I'm looking him up right now. Hold on, please. Hold, please. Keep holding. <laughs> Apparently, my internet's cold. And that's why it's like, <laughs> it's cold in my house. The computer's like, we're not doing anything. Um, <laughs> I can't find him, but the actor who plays adult Theo. Oh, right. Those two actors, I I miss them. I miss them sh- popping up in the Flanagan stuff. Um, mm. And I'm sure, I hopefully, knock on wood, they but both have adult- like lots of other stuff that they're doing. I thought adult Theo was Kate, uh, Kate Siegel. <gasps> Hold on. You're probably right, and I'm probably wrong. So let's see. What am I talking about? <laughs> Are you saying ad- um, adult now? No, 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 because that's... This isn't what I wanted. <laughs> okay, hold up. I'm taking I'm taking to the phone. No, because adult Nell is Victoria Pedretti. Pedretti. Yeah, Kate Siegel plays Theodora. Okay, yes. So I am talking about... Hold, please. He was also in Bly Manor. Oh, sorry. He's the one who plays adult Luke. Oliver Jackson. Right. Okay. Cohen. Yeah. Those two, I especially because the character that Oliver plays in Hill House versus the character he plays in Bly Manor, like they're mm-hmm. so different. And I just, I just, I really love the two of them. I wish that they were, I'd yeah, love to I, see, I, lo- I love to see more of their work. Um, I'd like to see them yeah. come back. Yeah. And it's one thing that I think Flanagan, the, and this is someone who like trusts his actors. Like one thing I think you get from Flanagan and the like repertory company of actors mm-hmm. that you're talking about. And I know this is how you feel about working with the actors in their theater company. Yeah. Is is like, you don't look at an actor and be like, okay, I found the thing you're good at. So let's just like have you do this over and over again. It's right. like you find a good actor and you're like, I want to see you do everything. Yeah. And that's in like for Flanagan to have that trust with like really everybody in this cast to play every type of role you can imagine. Yeah. You know? Carla Gugino in Follow the House of Usher is not Carla Gugino from Gerald's Game or from no. Haunting of Hill House. No. Victoria Pedretti is not, you know, Nell in uh, Haunting of Hill House is not uh, her character in Blind Manor. Like no, no, and uh, what's what's her name? What what is his wife's name? Kate Siegel. Katie. Midnight Mass to how follow the House of Usher, mm-hmm. like well, and go back and watch her in uh, the movie Hush, which is one mm-hmm. of his earlier films where she plays a blind woman being uh, uh, stalked by a home invader. It's kind of a, it's kind of a play on them. Uh, 
wait until no, dark sorry i'm saying a deaf woman not a blind woman okay um it, it's a plan waiting until wait until dark um but she i mean she owns that i think that's the first thing that i really saw her in that i that i knew like you know she was his wife and like was kind of paying attention to her and right. she's really pretty stunning in that film so yeah sweet matt saracen <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> from Friday yeah. Night Lights. Really happy that he popped up in Midnight Mass and that he was back for Usher. Again, yeah. totally different characters. Totally. totally different characters. And I just, I respect, because I think a lot of film directors don't have that ability with actors to see the range that an actor can play. I mean, I think this is why actors like coming back to work with Martin Scorsese. And I have not seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet. But Scorsese has that mind where he can look at an actor playing, you know, Robert De Niro playing a gangster in one movie and be like, you know, but but see the breath that De Niro could bring to something. Right. Yeah. And it's 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 um, I mean, I can't even say that this is like singular to the film industry. It happens all over theater as well. But it is uh, it is refreshing to see a director who is like what I see in you is a good actor, not a type not a type mm-hmm. like and this is probably going to be hard as shit for all of us and we're going to dig deep into this and it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to create a really great product and let's get to work as opposed to like how can we make this easy how can everybody mm-hmm. do the least amount of work right. possible yeah <laughs> well and it's like to see i mean he sees the possibility in actors like henry thomas who i'm going to be honest with you henry thomas is not an actor that over the years i thought a lot about yeah like he's the kidney tea He's the kid in mm-hmm. cloak and dagger. He would pop up in things like yeah. in gangs in New York. And I'm like, good for you, Henry Thomas, for still doing the thing. But, you know, it's like a lot of child actors, you just kind of don't take them that serious as adults. And then Flanagan comes along and is like, no, 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 no. You're an actor. Yeah. Hold and my beer. Yeah. Hold my beer. Let's see what <laughs> we can get you to do. Yeah. And Henry Thomas is great in all of these. And I thought he was real, real great in usher like he is so and i feel like that's really a role that like is far removed from one i hope who he is as a human being (laughs) and and two from the other stuff that he's played in the flanagan universe you know yeah well because he plays a fairly sympathetic you know he's the father in hill house Mm -hmm. um who you know has like made mistakes with his kids clearly Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. but has also clearly means well yeah you know has tried you know fucked up his kids kind of accepts the fact that he fucked up his kids yeah but is like doing his best to like protect them, them and like protect them, even as adults e- you know? even into adulthood yeah one thing i do one thing we do need to talk about about hill house is what episode is it is it episode six where is it's nell's feud mm-hmm. oh my god i remember watching that and i was just like what am I watching? Like, mm-hmm. how is this? I know how it's happening, but like, how is this happening? There's an episode of the first season of True Detective. I think it's also episode six that has a big, long take action sequence at the end. Mm-hmm. And it goes on for like 12 minutes or 15 minutes. And it's incredible. I actually find the long take in this episode of Hill House more impressive because you because it doesn't call attention to itself. Yeah. No, it's just all of a sudden you're like, wait, how? Yeah. We've been going in and out of timelines. Right. Seamlessly. 
it's like... it's the choreography is incredibly done. Yeah, the editing with camera work with acting, you know, because I'm sure. Now I don't. I'd like to read and see how much of it. You know, are there any hidden edits? Because a lot of times, something that looks like a long take, you know, there right. might be a little hidden edit in there. I don't know uh, how they did that in um, Hill House. But the thing is, in Hill House, you know, he what it does is it really puts you in the moment with those characters mm-hmm. in this experience of this funeral, you know. Whereas in, like, True Detective, there's an element of, like, okay, this is, you're showing off. Right. Like, it doesn't feel like in Hill House, I never, I mean, you can't do that kind of thing and not be, like, showing off a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, I know as a filmmaker, you know, when you come up with something like that, you're always like, I want want to show what I can do. But he still, that whatever ego was involved with that is like subsumed by what the story means. Right. It doesn't feel like, like they were sitting around a table going, you know what, let's just fucking do this ridiculous long take Mm. just for shits and giggles. It felt like it was like, this is what we want to do. And the way to do this is through one long take. Yeah. Like the way to tell this portion of the story is through this one long take. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, I, I think we would agree that of the four main series we're talking about, which is Hill House, Blind Manor, Midnight Mass, and Usher. Mm-hmm. Blind Manor is probably our least favorite. Blind Manor is, it's so weird because it's one of those things where I'm like, I mean, I like technically, I guess you would say it's it, least I, favorite, but- I I also think that Bly Manor is like a a stunning portrait of grief. When I say loss. least favorite, I mean I'm gonna like my comparison would be like take the like the great Pink Floyd albums, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, Animals in the Wall, and I'll yeah, be like, gun to the head, you have to put yes, one at the bottom. Animals is my least favorite of those four. It's yes. like still in my out of every other album made by any other artist anywhere. It's still head and shoulders above almost everything else. Yeah, and, and I that's think that's how part, I feel about Blind Manor. Yeah, and I think I think it also you know it had the uh, the unfortunate position of being the sort of like sophomore Netflix series. Yeah, it's the follow up, and I do think that what Mike Flanagan did that was really smart was he kept enough stuff of like all of the like spooky things, right? Like the Mm -hmm. things in the background, the ghosts in the background and, you know, all those things to sort of like carry over through the reason into Midnight Mass. Because I feel like there's a clear evolution between Midnight Mass and Bly Manor and Hill House. Yeah. You know, and like storytelling. And I think... I agree with you, but I also think he's not trying. I think he realized he can't top himself in terms mm-hmm. of the, the scares. There's no bit like neck lady equivalent. Yeah. In boy manner. So he's like, he's, he's got enough to like tie them together. You know, it's the same voice, the same filmmaker, but he's doing something very different. In yeah. And you even told me before I watched it, we were like, it's less scary and it's much more just sad. Yeah. It's it sad. Is. It's very it's really fucking sad. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I think, but I also think like it takes some balls to do that, right? To mm-hmm. come out with something like Hill House and have, have like everybody's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, this is so great. It's so yeah. like it's incredible. It's such great storytelling. And then to be like, okay, awesome, but we're gonna like yeah, take a little it bit of a been, left turn. Yeah, it would have been so easy for him to just continue to churn out Hill House right duplicates you know yeah and he didn't and i think like i think that's really cool 
Yeah, I do. I don't have like a ton to say about Boy Manor. I will say, like, I do think as I think by the time he got to Blind Manor, and this was, you know, he got a fair amount of criticism for Hill House and how disconnected from the Shirley Jackson novel it was. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, you know, once I set that aside, it was just like, just take it as its own thing. It really didn't bother me at all. But I do know that that was something like critics hit him for, fans hit him for. By the time he got to Blind Manor, I think he figured out what he was trying to do a little bit more, which is, really take the source material and kind of bend it into a new shape. Yeah. You know, because Blind Manor is much more directly related to the turn of the screw, but it's still its own thing. Yeah. And I like, I was talking to a friend of mine recently and we were talking about adaptations or works that are inspired by classics and all that stuff. And she was saying, she was like, I have no problem with, retelling of old stories myths or whatever Mm -hmm. and as a matter of fact i think that there are a lot of stories that do need to be told but i think what she was saying that she was interested in was finding out what is the need to tell that story today and figuring out how to tell that story today and make it about today and make it about today and make it relevant and maybe that means changing the uh the main character so that you have a different point of view mm-hmm. um maybe that means you know just sort of picking it up and setting it in a, a more modern time period and seeing what that does to the story but i think that that's what mike flanagan does with his sort of like mm-hmm. adaptations and i think that that's worthwhile because again i don't know that i want to see turn of the screw set when turn of the screw is supposed well to be. i think what he does that's interesting is that you know turn of the screw in terms of its its assumptions about women's roles children's roles in a big family what it shows is a world that that is still stuck in the past even Mm -hmm. though it is part of the present Mm -hmm. and so it's got that like sense of the turn of the screw of you know the the nanny and the kids who are kind of ignored by their rich uncle and Mm -hmm. you know um all these like things that seem very archaic but the show is very aware that like yes these things are archaic and that's the problem you know right yeah like like these kids deserve better right yeah it's commenting on it rather than just like retelling it exactly and i think when we get to usher i think uh, that really does some of that you know yeah i also think like one thing i loved about boy manor is i thought victoria pedretti was great in in hill house and i love that like he's like okay now let's anchor an entire show around her yeah and again very different character you know, very different character she's not a particularly well-known actor at this point so like that's that's uh, that's a lot of faith to put in somebody well she was i was reading that like i mean she was unknown when she did hell house she mm-hmm. self-submitted to that right you know and w- they were just like yeah <laughs> let's mm-hmm. scoop her up and it's impressive that she you know did the work that she did in hell house to the point that Mike Flanagan, like you said, was like, yeah, let's anchor a show around you now. Mm-hmm. I hope she comes back because I really do love her work. I loved her in You as well. Like, Oh, that's right. I haven't I haven't watched You, but I, I read that she was. She's like uh, in some of the later seasons of You, right? Yeah, she's in the second and third. I think she's she's very good. Um, like impressed because she's she's pretty young. Right? I mean, I think she's still in her 20s. I think she was like 21 when they did Hill House. Yeah. like so, when, Or when she auditioned for it. She was young. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just the very self-assured actor for that age. 
Very much so. Very much so. But Midnight go, Mass. Should we talk about Midnight to, Mass? I'm going to say, like, Midnight Mass is still my favorite. It's also the one that is not based on previous material. It's it's in a Mike Flanagan original. And just a great fucking story. Yeah. Such um, a good story. It's, you know... It, do we want to i think we can spoil kind of what it's about I think people yeah like, again spoilers like, spoilers <laughs> uh, it's a few years old it. you know it's a vampire story mm-hmm. um but what it does with the vampire myth it's the most original take on a vampire story i've seen in a long time yeah not just about how the vampire is depicted yeah. Like every movie or story is trying to come up with a new way to visualize vampire. I mean, even in my novel that I'm working on, I'm like, what can I do that makes like my vampire different than other vampires? But that's almost like not the point. The point is like, what does a vampire represent in this uh-huh. world? Yeah. And what he sees and how he connects it to religion oh. and specifically Catholicism. Yeah. And then sets it in this very specific world of this weird little like fishing village, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it is just, it's, it's, I think one of the things like, cause you know, I started watching it and I was like, okay, okay. And then it was like, this is about vampires. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think you don't even know it's a vampire thing until like halfway through the series. Yeah. And then once you like get to the end, it's like, oh God, like he brought, he brought this destruction mm-hmm. into this community in the name of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it, it's just like, that is like. And who is that actor? Hamish Linkletter? Wrong parallels. Hamish Linkletter, I think. I think yeah. yeah. Um, plays yeah, the priest. Strong, strong parallels. yes and that's what i think is really great about him is that he is like this equals this underlined Mm -hmm. bold circled in red ink and it doesn't feel like it's yeah i don't feel like i'm being hit over the head with an ideology it's funny like one, one knock on flanagan from the critics is that he does like to monologue and I love um, monologue. You know, so he's been so people do accuse him of getting preachy in his monologues. Somehow they never come across that way to me. Maybe yeah. a little bit in Usher, but even then I didn't mind it. I think he's got some more directly political things that he's saying in Follow the House of Usher. Mm-hmm. So it kind of maybe comes through a little bit more in there. I never felt that he was preaching about religion. And I think it's because you get so many different perspectives from yeah. so many different characters that I don't know where, like, I can't tell you, is Flanagan, I know he was raised Catholic. Is he currently a devout Catholic? Is he anti-Catholic? Is he somewhere in between? Is he non-denominational Christian now? Has he become, you know, is he Muslim? Like, well, I, don't, I, think, I really don't know where he stands. And I think what he does that's really smart in Midnight Mass is that he is not like, hey, it was God who was the vampire. Mm-hmm. What he's doing is placing it firmly on humanity's shoulders and saying, we fucked that up. Yeah, we saw we saw what we wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've sullied it. Mm-hmm. And we've messed it up. And I right. like, I think that's a really, I think that's a really smart move because it's not, it's not necessarily saying if you believe in spirituality, if you believe in a higher power, shame on you because you're an idiot. 
Mm-hmm. It's more like, well, we, hey, I mean, recognize the filter that you were getting this through is valuable. I mean, we've talked about this on the weirdest thing. Like, uh, I remember we both ranted about this at one point, but like how much we just find atheists insufferable, like new yeah. atheists. And, yeah. and and this is coming from neither you or I are religious people, particularly. Right. Yeah. But like the atheists who they think they know how the fucking world works and the universe works, they, they've got all the fucking answers now. Yeah. Like, no, you don't. You don't know really any more than anybody else. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's not like he leaves the question of whether there is a god or not a god kind of still on the table mm-hmm. you know but he shows very clearly that like i mean another thing we talk about on the weirdest thing is is confirmation bias right seeing what you want to see and kind of ignoring the evidence to the contrary ignoring you know? the fact that this thing almost ate you and being like, like is this it's god it's the, it's the, yeah is this an angel it's that meme Meanwhile, with the butterfly wing fucking demon <laughs> yes and it's yeah. so it is one of those things where it's like oh wow like yeah you you needed a place to like put this faith Mm-hmm. and to like fill in the blanks right for like why what has happened to you has happened to you and instead of being like okay went into a dark cave got bitten by this thing that looks like a bat and has big wings and drank my blood right angel yeah, yeah. angel that's clearly an angel yeah <laughs> yeah and then i think too to be like vampires <laughs> but angel yeah <laughs> like out of the two right. possibilities yeah. vampire is ridiculous angel is clearly yeah yeah it's clearly yeah. what's happening yeah but i but you know what like hamish linkletter he's so good that you actually he is like his character and i think he's part of why midnight mass is still my favorite is I don't think there's a character in any of these four series that we're talking about that I felt just the tragedy of the character's downfall more. Right. And I think what's, yes, absolutely. And I think what's really interesting about what is the, what is the character's name? Father what? Father Paul. Um, Is like the series is, the series is, a crisis of faith, right? Like we're mm-hmm. watching a crisis of faith happening in real time. And I remember, did I tell you this story? I was doing a intensive, mm-hmm. a month long intensive with a theater company in Massachusetts. And one of the workshops was led by this man who, before he got into theater, he was on the road to becoming a priest mm. and that he, and he said that he had a calling right? A calling to become a priest and that sort of got into theater and acting and that kind of work and the decision to move away from the priesthood and go into this life as an artist. Mm. And he said, he was like, when I got the calling, I heard the voice of God, like God spoke to me to lead me to the priesthood. And somebody had asked what happened after you, after you quit. And he was like, I never heard the voice again. And yeah. And so like when we were talking about people who have like deep, deep faith mm-hmm. and that is what, and like, I think that Hamish Linklater does such a beautiful job of playing right. out this crisis of faith in, in Midnight well, Mass. Well, I think part of why I find him so tragic 
and and what you just said so like that kind of gave me chills um <laughs> is because you know i was you know i'm you know as everyone knows i'm jewish yeah but like i was never raised in the religious part of it particularly my dad's mm-hmm. not religious you know my mom's uh family southern baptist she's very much not part of that you know yeah so i was essentially raised as an atheist or as an agnostic and i've always like i've always wanted to believe like there's mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not someone who's not religious and then automatically looks down my nose at religious people because right. i look at people who do have that sense of deep faith and i'm not talking like the deep faith that it's like you're buying into dogma and fucking propaganda and you're putting right. fingers on and whatever like all the cliches of like no but there is something just so something spiritually in their soul and there is something so innately comforting Mm -hmm. about the belief that there is a higher power right whose job it is to love us unconditionally yeah and i just yeah that is that feels very safe (laughs) and like i've always aspired to something like that and i've never gotten there so like i actually i respect people who you know obviously people who use their faith to do terrible terrible things that's that's right. that's one thing we like the idea of like a jed bartlett faith right, right? like well, and that's the yes back back to our uh, always got to come back to the west wing uh, right. on my horror podcast <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like uh you know we and i think this is why father paul is so tragic is he thinks he's the jed bartlett he's yeah genuinely believes that he's helping his parishioners yeah. and what he's doing is he's damning them yeah and it's, you know it, it's with the absolute best of intentions but he has he has allowed his faith to blind him and and yeah. and not out of maliciousness but out of just wanting it so much you know yeah so it's 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 really like there's something I found Midnight Mass really frightening, but in some ways it's as sad as Blind Manor. I, I found I think the yes, it is not like you know, and not I don't think that Hill House or Blind Manor relies on like jump scares. There definitely are some, mm-hmm. but there that it's just like that is fucking creepy, right? You know, the first time in Bly Manor when you see the fucking Lady of the Lake or whatever, like right. wandering, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's happening. Right. You know, it is stuff that is actually scary. I think Midnight Mass is scary in a very, even though it deals with a giant flying vampire, it, <laughs> it's it's a very real world scary thing mm-hmm. of like, oh my God, people can have the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. And can still put you it's, like irrevocably in harm's way. Well, and also because we should mention the, and I'm forgetting the character's name, but the actor is Samantha. She's yes. in all. She's in all Flanagan stuff, or most of Flanagan stuff too. Uh, Samantha Sloyan. She plays Sloyan. Bev in right. uh, Midnight Mass. Bev. Um, you know, we have uh, the best of intentions of religion, and we have the worst of intentions. Oh yeah. And she and so you so you get both and and so she's very frightening in Midnight Mass. There's just stuff in Midnight Mass that I found deeply unsettling more than really anything else. He's done. I think that was a thing is that like I I walked away from Hill House and Bly Manor being like ooh that was spooky and that was a good time. Midnight Mass filled me with with dread yes <laughs> like both it, existential and non-existential right <laughs> no it like it it gets under your skin in a way that i think 
Nothing else. He's. I'm trying to think back on some of his earlier things. I mean, in a weird way, Absentia is the only thing that I felt some of that similar kind of cosmic dread that you get from the mm. Nightmask mm-hmm. on a much small, much smaller scale. Yeah, <laughs> but but there is something about you know the town being sort of like laid to waste mm-hmm. and knowing that like you've seen the vampire flapping off, right? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Towards the city and being yeah. like, oh, that's a 50-50 shot. Yeah, like, we don't know if we defeated it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, there is Kitty Siegel, like her monologue when she's it's talking incredible. about, it's beautiful. Right? Because she's talking about like stars and death and like returning to stars. Mm-hmm. Well, and and he of- and it's the two of them together because he has yeah. his. Yeah, uh, you know, where he talks about the way the brain is going to break down and the chemicals, how it's going to be this like psychedelic trip. Yeah, she has this totally other, and it's it is gorgeous. And like, yeah, and then that's one of my favorite moments on the entire series. My other really, and the, again, spoiler, but when he takes her out on the boat <laughs> the end, <laughs> and he and he has another kind of beautiful monologue, and then yeah. it's like cuts to him on fire and her screaming. I mean, it's Jesus, and then it's like credits. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, I think that's a really great thing. Like Mike Flanagan sets a mood, right? Like he sets a mood. Mm -hmm. You like, you know, God, again, I was watching, I was rewatching Hill House and it's the part when Nell calls her dad Mm. and she's like the bent neck lady is back and it's the shot of her in the car. Right. And she's talking to her dad and her dad is like, where are you? And blah, blah, blah. And it's so fucking subtle. But her, like, her face lights up mm-hmm. and it cuts to the thing of, like, when the lights turn on, come if that's time to come home. Right. And that's when she's just like, I'm at home. I got to go, daddy. And she mm-hmm. hangs. And it's, like, so, yeah, like, it doesn't occur to you to pay attention to it until you find that out. And then you're right. like, oh, my God, the, the house is calling her home. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you're right. Ugh. It is very subtly done. And yeah, uh, you know what's happening, even if you don't consciously know what's happening. Right. Yeah. There's a way for like the subconscious to get in there. And I think right. with that, you know, the the Matt Guilford's monologue in Midnight Mass when they're out on the boat mm-hmm. and he's doing all that stuff and the light is like changing, mm-hmm. which should be a beautiful moment. Right. They're like, out, like clearly it. they love each other and they're mm-hmm. like, you know, meant to be. And the sun is rising and that should be this but there's this sense of like something's not right something's not right something's not right like why why do i feel terrified of a sunrise right now (laughs) yeah exactly yeah and i I think uh, yeah that and you're right it 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 almost mirrors that moment in hill house with the lights in the house like yeah just a very subtle like shift without drawing attention to itself yeah so let's talk about uh follow the house of usher which is yes let's do it and i'm gonna again we've said it over and over and over again but i'm just since since it is new i'm gonna reiterate if you have not watched the follow the house of usher and you don't want to be spoiled hit the pause button come back to this podcast later because i want to just talk about it i don't want to really talk about it so like (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, yeah yes I think it's my second favorite. Like, if I'm going to rank them, I'm going to go Midnight Mass, House of Usher, Haunting of Hill House, Blind Manor. Like, mm-hmm. if you put the gun to my head. Okay. I'm going to say Follow the House of Usher is still second to Midnight Mass, but it's a very close second. Where Where do you put it in the pantheon? I 
Hmm. Midnight Mass. For me, I'm going to go Midnight Mass. Hill House Usher. <laughs> yeah. <that> matter. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, and probably I, depending on if I watched Hill House again, it might squeak up ahead of Fall of the House of Usher. And only for it's, you know, only thematically. The thing right. that I connect to more is the story of this family and these adult children in Hill House. Mm-hmm. And like across the board, they're all incredibly well made right across the board well acted beautifully directed you know stunningly shot all of those things but Mm. it is one of those things that i'm like i don't really have it in me to feel a ton of sympathy for a bunch of like rich yeah but the thing is i actually think so there have been a lot of comparisons made to succession Mm -hmm. and and i don't think the series is asking me to well that's what i was gonna say is like I haven't watched that much of Succession. It's not my favorite. I've tried. But one thing I will give Succession credit for is that it works very much in that black comic vein of like, mm-hmm. I know I've told you that. I don't know if I've, I've said this on the podcast before, but like my uh, former screenwriting professor's definition of black comedy, where he said, you know, in most types of storytelling we're trying to create a sense of empathy between the viewer and the character on the screen black comedy inverts that where it's like you're actually trying to create a sense of contempt Mm -hmm. and the empathy you're creating is what the author it's you and the author sitting on the outside interesting looking contemptibly at the characters on the screen yeah and i feel like succession very clearly is working in that like black comic vein so I can appreciate, like, I think a lot of the people who really don't like Succession is because the characters are hateful across the board. Like, they're not sympathetic, but you have to watch it with that Black comic frame of mind. Yeah. And it, the problem I find with Succession is, okay, it's a Black comedy that's not actually all that funny. Like, that, so that's where it kind of falls down. Yeah. While the House of Usher, for me, is... Doing the same black comic thing as Succession, but wrapped in a horror story. But it's still funnier than Succession. Like, yeah. there's some stuff I thought was laugh out loud hilarious <laughs> in um, Follow the House of Usher that was, like, not expected for me. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, one thing I was, like, going through all of Flanagan's work, comedy is not something that I really associate with him. No. And I actually thought House of Usher had some comedy. Like, yeah. I'm not going to go so far as to say it's a comedy, but it had right. it had some very genuinely black comic moments. Yeah, I I'm, yeah, I yeah, I agree. And so that so I agree with you that the the sense of it, sympathy or empathy that you feel for the characters of Haunting of Hill House, you're not going to feel that in Usher. But I but I think that's intentional. I think that's, yeah, that's very th- much. I think it's intentional too. And I think, you know, even, I mean, you know, what are their names? The brother and sister, right? Mm-hmm. Roderick and um, Madeline. Madeline, yes. Those are um, those are the names from the original story too. Right. Yeah. Getting to like the spoileriest of spoilers. Mm-hmm. When you find out what the deal is mm-hmm. that death essentially makes with the two of them. Right. And to see how like flippantly- they do. They're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, basically, I was like, what? they sell not only their own lives, but their children, like all of their their offspring. You know, it's the line will end with you. Yeah. Like, and that to me is one of those things that I'm like, and I, 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 let me make it clear that I am not saying that this is a, a failing in storytelling. I actually think it's 
great. But it's one of those things that like when death comes for the granddaughter and she's just so like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know why they thought it didn't include you. I said, Mm -hmm. I said that it ends with them. Right. And I I thought that moment was because that's the one character you do empathize with. And I think there's something, I think there's something interesting about this idea of death personified, right? Mm -hmm. That is like, almost reluctant to be like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I know this mm-hmm. fucking sucks. And yeah. like, it's coming for you one way or the other. Well, that's and the it moment sucks that for you, it has to happen like this. That's the moment where it's clear. She's not the devil. She's not evil. She's just a force of nature. She's, she's just a force of nature. Say, um, and again, we're spoiling it. So if you haven't watched it, like, whatever. what have we been telling you this entire right. time? But, but if, but if you're like, you know, spoiling it for yourself and you also don't know what we're talking about. So we should just say like what the plot setup is a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. so it's the Usher family who are essentially the Sackler family. Yeah. Very much like they run a pharmaceutical company that has like been pumping out opiates that have been killing people and you know. Yeah. Just totally amoral family. Uh Roderick, played by Bruce Greenwood, is is the mm-hmm. titular head of the family, although really clearly Madeline, his sister, is kind of at least as in charge as he is. Played by mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. you have, and Mary McDonald is who plays her. Yeah. You have this brother and sister who are, for all intents and purposes, acting as patriarch and matriarch of mm-hmm. the House of Usher. Right. But they're siblings. Mm-hmm. But also, I didn't get at any rate any kind of like vibe. No. But, there's, right? There's, it's very clearly like. With- no, it's just that we are the head of households mm-hmm. and you can go and stick your dick and whoever you're going to stick your dick into and whatever. But right. at the end of the day, it's you and me doing this thing. Right. Right. Which and I do have to say, Mary McDonald, like, because obviously I love Battlestar Galactica and she will always be where Martin Sheen will always be president. Josiah Bartlett for me. She will always be president. Laura Roslin. Yes. Um, but like even on Battlestar Galactica, she has some dark moments. Um, mm. on that show and i love seeing her just lean into it in usher yeah she is so oily and evil but just delicious to watch like i what i think is interesting about her character too is that she is very much driven from a place of like there is no way for me to get through this life mm-hmm. being a good person i have to salt right. the earth right. because the it's earth been salted for me yeah. yep so like no compassion, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, and down to the thing of her talking about like, you know, choosing to not have a family and the measures that she takes to ensure that that won't happen mm-hmm. and all these things to, because she knows how far behind, how far back her starting line is. Right. I guess I would say I, I feel, I might feel a little bit of compassion for Madeline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Cause I mean, I, uh, yeah, her motivations are very set up in a human way where actually his are, he just kind of goes along. He's actually the more almost amoral because he doesn't really make any choices. He lets other people make his choices for him. Yeah. But anyway, so you've got this brother and sister and it's about them essentially taking over a company. Yeah. Um, that they have, a birthright to, uh, obviously, because you know their father. They're Ill, they're the Ill, illegitimate children of the guy who started the company. Uh-huh. But it's about them sort of like forcing their way into this company, this pharmaceutical company, taking it over, making a deal with Death, who's played by Carla Gugino, mm-hmm. who shows up over and over and over again in different guises to essentially like you can have any everything you want, all the success you want, 
But when you're done, you're done. And how does she put it? It's like, you all exit the stage together. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he has a bunch of kids. He has a granddaughter. There's the the heirs to the company. But then once they start to die, it's like one, then the other, then the other. Mm-hmm. And so... And there's a, there is a thing, too. Yeah. Am I making this up that there's a thing about, like, why the grandchild is the only grandchild? Am I making that up? I don't remember. I don't remember if that is ever addressed. That might be me conflating two... Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, continue. Um, and like you said, the one, like we said, the one character that we actually do somewhat care about in a more typical, uh, sympathetic way is the mm-hmm. granddaughter Lenore, mm-hmm. uh, who is played by I'm forgetting her name, but she's I'll in Doctor Sleep. I'll uh, look her up. Kylie Curran. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's also from the Flanagan verse because she she's uh, she appeared in Doctor Sleep. So mm, fantastic. Okay. But uh yeah, so it's just it's really about like we and it's brilliantly set up where we know from the first episode he talks about it's like all my children just died, like in the yeah. last two weeks. Yeah. And then it's going back and telling the story of like how each of them died. Yeah, um, and there isn't there's not there isn't a moment of peace for right. their children. They all die fucking horrible. And they're deaths. all taken in some way from a post story. Um, mm-hmm. so like the youngest son throws a rave mm-hmm. in an illegal warehouse party that's clearly taken from the mask of the red death yes that was when i really i was like oh this is a black comedy the way that everyone dies in that one i was like it's so over the top like and it's again yes so over the top so over the, the whole <laughs> that whole thing is over the top right it gets fucking uh, like sexy orgy party um <laughs> You know, whatever. And I do love that death comes through and is like, hey, like to the people who are attending bar and stuff, right? Is like, get the fuck out of here. You don't need to be here. Oh, you don't need to be here. And tries to do it to Freddie's wife. The sister-in-law, right? Yeah. But, you know, she, for whatever reason, doesn't. Sticks around, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like a sense, right, that like death is fair where death can be fair. Right. Exactly. And that's where like, you know... Yeah, she's not the devil. She's not evil. But there is an element of punishment. Like, I love when Freddie dies at the end and she's like, she's like, you know, you could have gone, you could have gone all these ways, but but you had to pull out the pliers. When he, yeah. You know, obviously, what he does to his wife. Uh, yeah. And so he gets to die in like a pit in the pendulum kind of way with a thing cutting in half. Yeah, which... I think out of all of them was the one that I was the most disturbed by. That's interesting because that's the one I was cack. As soon as I saw the thing swinging and he couldn't move, I was cackling. Like I, 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 I think it's one of those things where like for the character, I'm like, yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> you know, good. I'm glad that this is happening to you. Right. And the idea of being of like the pit in the pendulum slowly mm-hmm. being sliced <laughs> is like, right. My God, no, no, I'd rather, I'd rather fall off of my, my high rise apartment balcony. Yeah. (laughs) And it does have that, you know, because the story of the the pendulum has that sense of just anxiety of the thing just getting closer and closer. closer. Yeah. Great, great way to build, build some tension. Yeah. And then the other, I mean, we don't need to go through all the deaths one by one, but the other one I just want to highlight is Kate Seagal's death or Katie Seagal. It's taken from Murders in the Rue Morgue. 
Uh-huh. And uh, anyone who's terrified of chimpanzees or has watched the the movie Nope is going to know kind of Or knows I'm anything going. about humans and chimpanzees. I thought that one Fuck. was so perfectly like set up. It was, yeah, because it was one of those things where I was watching it and I was like, okay, 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 okay. And then when, right at the end, when, what is her name? Like, what is the character's? Camille. Yeah. When Camille is kind of like, fuck it. And she lifts her phone up and she's been having a conversation with death this entire time. And there are definitely some like Easter eggs about what is happening, but she puts up her phone and you see the, like through the camera that death is has taken the form of a chimpanzee mm-hmm. i was just like no fuck this <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i knew where it was going i'm done, but... I'm done with the show i'm done yeah <laughs> see i knew where it was going when she jumps up on the table and death jumps up on the table because it's like that's what i'm saying that, there's some that's stuff a that fucking, it's like that's a chimp yeah that's, a chimp that's gonna eat her face yeah yeah and i mean but you know like and this is the thing where i'm like i i, I i'm not gonna say i get it i hear the poe purists right Mm -hmm. like i hear that whatever have those opinions i'm not going to say that you can't have them but i think what happens with like tamerlane Mm -hmm. and her like william wilson oh that that was that was also fantastic in the way i thought they incorporated the idea of the doppelganger yeah that i was like this is this is actually very a very interesting way to modernize this Mm -hmm. yeah and you know (laughs) I love Poor that husband. her husband's name is Bill T. Wilson. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, that that was another really good one that I thought used the Poe in a really interesting way. And again, it's all updating it. It's all using it as this kind of black comic commentary on this mm-hmm. rich family. Mm-hmm. Um, Even, uh, what's his name? Pim? Played oh, by a stunning, stunning Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill as the just, lawyer, Arthur Pym. Yeah, yeah just an absolute gargoyle in this. (laughs) Well, and it's great. You know, when you, you get a little bit of his backstory and his backstory is from the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, which is Mm -hmm. Poe's one novel. Yeah. And death tries to make a deal with him. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love how he's like, no, you know, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. And he sort of is like, I've got what's coming to me. Like I'm going to go ahead and like, I've, 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 I've done all of the things and I'm going to go ahead and see how this plays out. And he, and they say at the end, he's the one person who's convicted in yeah. the trial against the Usher family. You know? Yeah. Which doesn't, like I mean, a bit of a, you know, short end of the stick, but. Yeah. <laughs> no, I loved Mark Hamill in this. I thought, I, I thought he was, um, you know, I've seen a couple, it, I've seen a couple people complaining about his performance online because he's doing kind of a voice. But, you know, I thought he did the voice well. I didn't call attention to him. I kind of kept forgetting he was Mark Hamill. Same. So, it's like, not like, it's not like, no shade. It's not Christian Bale doing the like, rah, 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 bat right. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, that is a voice. That is a voice that I'm like, I, this is absolutely taking me out of the movie. But right. he's like, so, you know, he, that's what I'm saying. Like, He's like a fucking gargoyle in this mm-hmm. show. He's like always in his coat and his hat, and he's always like in the corner. And kind and of it, hunched over. And... Yeah, and so it makes sense to me that his voice would sound like he's, you know, got a bunch of gravel in there. Right. He's also, I mean, let's let's be fair. Like, Mark Hamill is a renowned voice actor at this point in his career. Like, Yeah. So you like, think you know better than Mark Hamill? Yeah, exactly. You think, like, you, you, on, think you can make better choices, vocal choices, than Mark <laughs> Hamill? Renowned voice actor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Let's talk just a little bit about, because I do think this is, this one, I don't want to call it preachy. I don't think it's preachy, but I think it has a much more direct political point of view. Mm-hmm. It's very much about corporate exploitation of mm-hmm. like the economy and capitalist uh, exploitation of yep. you know consumers. And it's very centered on the Sackler family. I mean, yes. I don't think anyone can even sue us for this because it's clearly that's what he's hinting at. I mean, um, I mean we all know. <laughs> yeah. We all know that story. Yeah. How did you, you know, this is obviously, you know, where some of the comparisons to succession are coming in because that's obviously, you know, that's based on the Murdochs. Um, mm-hmm. How did you think that worked? Like, did you find it heavy handed or did you think it did it work for you? I mean, I think it's, uh, did I find it heavy handed? I mean, I think it's supposed to be heavy handed. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I think. I think that's true. It's not true. I, I don't think that this is like a quiet, contemplative little show. This is a show that is like, hey, this is like the mm-hmm. bad shit that happens when you put greed in front of everything else, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so there is, there's characters who talk about stuff in a very, like, very self-aware 2023, you know, mindset, mouthpiece type of right. way. But I think the thing is, is like, I don't, I don't think that this is supposed to be a subtle show. You yeah. know what I mean? Because again, death could have 100% been like, hey, so it ends with you. You're all going to exit the stage together and just allowed people to die in their sleep. Instead, she's like, <laughs> right. right. So this bitch is going to die at a fucking rave. This bitch is going to die <laughs> by a chimpanzee. This motherfucker is going to like fly off of the balcony of his high rise apartment. Like mm. it's not a subtle show. So I don't know. I think it's one of those things that I'm like, I think it's not understanding the mood and the pace of the show to expect those speeches to have been subtle. Well, and again, I'm going to go back to just saying, I think it's a black comedy and black mm. comedy is rarely subtle. Like black comedy yeah. sort of depends on, on being like confrontational and in your face. And yeah. when I was saying like, you know, black comedy, the 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 goal of a black comedy is to make you feel contempt for the characters on screen and empathy for the author. Mm-hmm. I actually feel like Carla Gugino death in this she becomes our stand-in. She becomes the authorial stand-in. Yeah. And if you think about it, she is authoring. She is the author of everyone's demise. Yeah. And so you know, like when she says to Freddie at the end, like, you know, you could have gone easy, but you had to pull out the pliers. I was 100% with her. I was like, yeah, no, fucking cut this motherfucker in half. Yeah. We, we see, we've seen what he's, and he's the one who thought he was like the good person. In the film, mm-hmm. You know, but we see this, what this guy's capable of. So yeah, I don't, yeah. Think, I don't, I agree with you 100% where it's, it's not trying, it's not meant to be subtle. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole it's thing meant with, to be a little bit of like, you know, hitting you with a two by four. Right. And even the thing with, um, what is her, where is she? What's her name? The one who's doing the like artificial heart, right? Oh yeah. That whole thing. Is that yeah. like, you, you spend a decent amount of the show being like, I mean, she's trying to figure out how to make like a fucking and then you, artificial heart, man. And then you see like, no, at the end of it. And in, in, in her partner even tells her, it's like, no, you're all monsters, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that one, we should say clearly taken from the telltale heart. The, yeah. The, and I think is also Victorine. That's her name. That's, uh, right. that's the character's name. Yeah. I think is, again, a great way to modernize the telltale heart because who even mm-hmm. fucking has floorboards in their house anymore right. right like you know and to do it to be this thing that like i kill this person and i'm now being driven 
mad mm-hmm. by the guilt yes. and the sound of this fucking heart yeah. beating. What I loved, what and like you know, in the original story, it is just the sound of a person's guilt. Mm-hmm. What I love the twist, and this is like, no, it's an actual sound. No, it's like, actual something actually making that sound. Um, I thought that was great. And I love Roderick's like when he's like, wait, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And, he goes, and then he realizes, smell? oh, my God, what has she done? Like, yeah. And yeah. she's just round the bend. Right. Like yeah. she's just like, Dad, you know, she starts having a conversation. Who Who is that actor? She's also in Blind Manor. I know that. Tania, I don't know if I'm saying the name right, but Tania Miller, T apostrophe N-I-A Miller. She is also incredible i thought she was incredible in blind manor and then i stunning in blind manor she you know she's very sympathetic in blind manor and then she brings that into usher but like you said only to like subvert that yeah yeah and that's the thing where i'm like i can't even unlike midnight mass where we have somebody who is like you know with father paul who was like i'm i'm doing what i think i need to do for for mm-hmm. my parish and and these things and like this is a good thing you get that idea with victorine but at the end it's like oh you're again you're 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 reasoning for yeah. it was was never right pure yeah it, it was always based. it was always a rationalization yeah and like we see with father paul you know he does kind of try to correct things it's way too late way too end. late yeah. Um, where she just she just goes insane. <laughs> yeah. Is she as she, she like folds. she doubles down, she doubles down mm-hmm. on it and then goes insane. And Raul Coley also is another one who Bly Manor, Midnight Mass, oh yeah, completely different character in mm-hmm. House of Usher yeah. from what he played in the other roles. He's so like lovely in Bly Manor and in mm-hmm. Midnight Mass, um, and just such a such a scuzz bag in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh but like yeah the perfect scuzz bag the know. perfect scuzz bag yeah and it is you know again i like you know when we see what madeline and roderick do to the ceo of the company you know the thing that death sort of is like hey i know that you did this thing right and so like do you want to make a deal yeah which is they wall up it's very the boss I think it's, what is that from? Casco Amontillado, I think. I think so. I think that's what it's called. That's another one, much like the Pit and the Pendulum, where like I was like, I hate, I hate it. 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 So I was like, oh, this is awful. Yeah. And there's something just so deeply, deeply unsettling about being walled up in the dark. And it's like, it'll take a few days. Yeah. Well, also, it takes them a while. Like, he wakes up and they're only halfway through. So he gets to sit there and just watch them put brick after brick. Yeah. After brick. Yeah. Um, And just, like, taunting him the whole time. And, like, we see him going from, like, he thinks it's a joke to then he's threatening them to then he's, like, trying to buy them off to then finally him just kind of resigned to, like, no, this is it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also an interesting thing, too, of, like, you were chained to the fucking plumbing system. Right. And you know that you were going into a holiday break where nobody's going to be here for a week. Mm-hmm. So it's hilarious to me that the tactic is, I'm going to threaten you. Like, you right. have no cards to play in <laughs> yeah. this hand. Yeah. Well, and it's incredible watching him. He's another actor, uh, Michael Truco, by the way. He's in Midnight Mass, but also an alum from Battlestar Galactica. Uh, plays oh. Sam Anders on Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Um, and he's one of those actors that, like, every time he pops up in anything... 
I'm just like, oh, it's 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 Sam Anders. I'm always happy to see him. <laughs> hey, there you are. Good for you. I think he's really good at Asher. I think he's really like he he's he embodies that just blustery CEO character so well. Yeah, so 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 well. Um, I think the other main character that we have not talked about is uh, let me uh, let me find him. August. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dupin, Dupin, uh, who is basically, you know, the audience for Usher's right. uh, confession, I guess. Yeah, I guess, you know, when I was saying it's like our our empathy is with the death character, Carla Gugino. You could say, like, it's a little bit split because we're also August. August is also kind of an audience standard, right? Yeah. Somebody he, who's been, like, deeply fucked over by the Ushers. He's been trying to bring them down. Mm-hmm. Um, and for genuinely, I think it's more meant to believe genuinely righteous reasons. Yeah, it's not just that they fucked him over; it's that they're he's like, no, these are bad people. They need to be stopped. So yeah. he's, he's a U.S. attorney who's been trying to go after the family for a long time. So he says in one of the first episodes that they have one of the Usher family members has turned and is going to be mm-hmm. like state's witness. Word. Do we ever find out who that person is? He tells him at the end again, spoiler, 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 spoiler. <laughs> but he says, no, there was nobody. I was just fucking with you. Okay. Because I was like, did we ever yeah. find out who it was? Yeah. No, okay. it was it was just his way of like, he was trying to rattle the family. And he did. And he sure did. But then it didn't mean anything anyway, because that wasn't why they all died. They all just died because death came for them. So Yeah. No, he's great. And that actor, um, I'm forgetting his name. His name is Carl Lumbly. Carl Lumbly, that's right. He's uh, He also appeared on an episode of Battlestar Galactica and an episode of The West Wing. I remember him. Uh, he's the, uh, on The West Wing, he's the guy who's talking to Josh about uh, becoming like the assistant deputy U.S. attorney for civil rights, but he's got the quote about reparations on the back of a book. Right. And that causes a political problem. And so right. they have to like talk it out. Oh God, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's he's right. he's he's just one of those. He's another one of those actors who just pops up and stuff. And I'm always happy to see him. So. Yeah, yeah, he's really fucking good. I'm not sure. And he yeah, has, and he has a fair amount of like meaty stuff to do here. Yeah, and is I mean, is a bit of um, I'm forgetting the name of the like dramatic conceit, but is basically there to just kind of like push the story along mm-hmm. it's just kind of to be like what are you talking about what do you mean right how could that have happened and yet is compelling yeah exactly yeah yeah it's a thankless role in that sense and that he's just audience surrogate you know but he's um but yeah he's just a strong enough actor that he just really makes a lot out of it yeah really does it really really does it well um i do also have to say that i love the end of the show where death is go right it's death who's going to the gravestones and mm-hmm. she's placing like the little like little talisman tickets. like the little yeah. totems right on all of the graves and is like <laughs> and done <laughs> my work is done <laughs> and Goodbye. of course we should say by the way the death you know, we're calling her death but what she really is is the raven yes even her name verna is right a, is an anagram for right yeah 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 i also you know when they start being like this is the woman who's doing this and uh arthur right 
starts going through and like looking for her. It was, and I know how you feel about this movie, but it's the same way I felt when it's the shot of the New Year's Eve party in The Shining and Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson is like like at the front of it. And yeah. they're going through all of the photos of her back to with like the Vanderbilts or whatever. And I was right. like, this is so freaky to me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I will say, I mean, yes, I hate The Shining. I hate Kubrick's The Shining, but that is a great closing shot. Yes. Yeah. You know, just this thing of like, there is this like, timeless being mm-hmm. who is never aging and is right. always present right. and yeah to like see her through all of these pictures in the background with like all of these people and it was deeply unsettling for me yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's she's i mean she's again this is a role that could have been like very poorly written you know just the revenant of death kind of character but right. she brings so much personality to each different incarnation. I think that's the interesting thing too, right? As we see her, every member of the Usher family gets a different version of her. Right. And she is a different version. Yeah. She's just such a, you know, she's just such a good actor. But yeah. We should very briefly talk about the rumor of what Mike Flanagan might be doing uh, next right. or coming down the pike. Um, your brother was texting us about this the other yes, day. Yes, yes. You know, obviously people have been trying to get a good version of The Dark Tower off the ground forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, There's the terrible movie from a few years ago uh, with Idris Elba. Not because of Idris Elba, I should say. No. He's, he's the best thing in the movie. It's just a bad movie. <laughs> and then Ron Howard had the rights to it, and they were trying to at least get the fourth book okay. turned into an Amazon series because uh, it's a prequel to the rest of them. Okay. Um, but now there's a thought that, you know, Mike Flanagan has talked about wanting to do a Dark Tower adaptation forever. Amazon has the rights to the Dark Tower. Flanagan has moved from Netflix over to the uh, Amazon let's all hope it i think if there's anyone who could pull off the dark tower because the dark tower would be incredibly difficult to adapt yeah he's shown an ability to adapt very difficult things and i will say amazon has put out a couple of film adaptations of books Mm -hmm. you know they took daisy jones and the six right and turned that into a limited series you like you thought they did a good job with that didn't you Yeah, I think, um, you know, again, to tell a story that has multiple timelines between the 1970s and current Mm -hmm. day and to like, you know, get in most of the big points of, you know, I mean, a book is always just is always going to have more information than a film or TV adaptation. But I thought they did a pretty good job. I thought they cast the the cast was, you know, almost impeccable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, I say that to say, I feel like Amazon Studios has a respect for the source material I that mean, maybe. You could say that also have. with a man uh, from the High Castle, which I didn't mm-hmm. watch the entire series, but I mm-hmm. mean, I think that improves on the source material. That improves on the Philip K. Dick novel by mm-hmm. quite a bit. Like I, I, I tend to think, I mean, even what I saw of Rings of Power, which uh-huh. I'm not the biggest Lord of the Rings person, and I didn't mm. watch the entire series. But they were they were doing a good job, and it's clear. Like, one problem with Netflix 
is they often don't have respect for source material. Netflix is just a big algorithm and they're just like mm-hmm. trying to like find what like fits their algorithm and it's yeah. you know they're always constantly canceling like popular shows and green lighting things that are like shitty because it's like they know they can get X number of viewers and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Amazon actually whoever not you know i don't give jeff bezos credit for this but like right he's not in those meetings whoever is running their like film and tv unit yeah and i've actually i actually not humble brag but i actually met with them back when i was doing my whole pitching around hollywood thing and i mm. got the impression i got from them was like they're very interested in doing good material yeah the yeah. you know the corporation is what it is but the people working there i think really want to do good work yeah. So and I think part of the problem with the Dark Tower is they couldn't figure out how to do it. And yeah, so they I were think... like, we don't want to do a shitty version of it. You yeah. Know? And I think, I mean, uh, like, I think we can be cautiously optimistic Yeah. about what Mike Flanagan would do with that. Yeah. I think, I think of all the filmmakers out there, he's the one person right now I would trust with that material. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I'm just excited to see what he does over there. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I think, same. Amazon might be willing to even like uh, give them even more free reign to do stuff. So mm-hmm. fingers crossed. <laughs> I guess that's a good place to end it. So yeah. Well, thanks, thanks for letting me come on here. Yeah. Thanks special guest Amelia. Porto. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you very much, Amelia, for coming on. I'm sure I'll have her back on at some point, probably the next time a screen movie comes out. Uh, she would definitely be the person to have come on and talk about that. Uh, but in the meantime, if you enjoyed that, you can catch the two of us every other week on the Weirdest Thing podcast. There's like almost 100 episodes out there. So go check that out. And like I said at the beginning of this show, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, please give me a five star review. Tell your friends spread the word on social media and i'll be back with you guys again in a couple of weeks